Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you this evening on this murky, dark, and rainy Thursday evening. I'm joined, as I am most every week, by my good friend and co-host, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What's up, dude? Hello, everyone. Welcome. Scott, there's a few people here that aren't usually around. We have guests. We have guests. You guys know that, you know, this is not a murder podcast, right? <laughs> this is not, this is not, this is not true crime. We're all in the right place. And sometimes it's true crime. I mean, well, yes, it, depending on which state official we're talking about. Uh, when I was getting dressed, I wore a sweater and I thought about wearing a, like a button down with a tie to like channel a George Santos vibe. <laughs> Which I think is the point Then you guys should all tell me how much you hate me, but then refuse to kick me out wah, wah. at the last moment. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Scott, this is our 250th podcast. That's Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that is awesome and a little bit insane and... It's at least 200 more than we thought we were going to do. 249 more than we That's right. anticipated. Uh, well, let's uh, a quick toast. If you're in the audience, you want to raise a glass or a can, I guess you have. Uh, cheers. Thank you for being listeners and for being here as well. Um, man, 250 episodes. Holy shit. Yes. There's been, uh, like, let's see, there's been, um, since we started, you know, you, we've been about you've moved. Yeah, you've moved. I've moved. You, you had a child. Got married and had a baby. She's yeah. here. Yeah, indeed. Um, um, the unthinkable has happened. There was a tax increase in Oklahoma. <laughs> there that's, was a tax increase. <laughs> that's a once-in-a-century a once event yeah. uh, in our yeah. 250 episodes. Um, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty crazy. I, when we've, we, we've both gained and lost pets. Indeed, indeed. Um, there was a pandemic. There was a whole pandemic. There, there is a pandemic. Yeah. There was, there is, depending on your nomenclature. Yeah, um, yeah. Some of, many of us have lost loved ones indeed. during that period. Yeah. Um, we gained a host, a co-host. We lost a co-host. <laughs> we, did, we didn't lose her. No. She's just not here. Yeah. And, and <laughs> speaking of which, Bailey Perkins sends her regard. Bailey Perkins writes, sends her regard. She cannot join us this evening. She had another obligation, but... She was like, is there a way I can zoom in? I was like, I don't, I wish there was, but I don't know the logistics of how that would work. Yeah, it's, um, um, you know, I, I uh, it's, it's, it is, you know, it's been, it's, it's a little crazy to think about. Um, if you guys listen regularly, and I assume that you do because you are here, um, I have not been a fixture on the show for the last several months. Um, um, I, uh, had a big surgery in June and preparing for that and then recovery from that and getting back to work um, necessitated me to take some time off. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool to be here and be back in the saddle, as yeah. it were. Yeah. Yeah. Preparing for the podcast isn't brain surgery. No. But now that you've been through that. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you need brain surgery, it makes preparing for the hot podcast that much more difficult. Right, right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, some quick stats that we wanted to share about our 250 episodes. Um, we've had 120 unique guests. We'll have two of them making Indeed. repeat occurrences tonight. Indeed. And I think it's, you know, I, I think it's pretty cool when you think about who, are, like, who we have had for guests. We have had 
we have had everybody we have had everybody on the show from folks that are you know running for office for the first time folks that have held office for a number of years, folks that are leaders in the legislature. We've had statewide elected officials. We've had the lieutenant governor. Um, we had the former attorney general on the show at a time um, when his office was doing some pretty, uh, that office was doing some pretty critical things in terms of you know, in, you know prosecuting uh, wrongdoing for, uh, uh, to, I guess, pharmaceutical companies, the opioid epidemic. Um, I mean, it's for a, for a, a fairly like niche, Topic for just two guys with <laughs> a microphone. We're doing all we've, right. We've 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 actually we've 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 gotten to do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. Fifty three thousand downloads, thirteen thousand unique listeners. Um, Scott, our show has been downloaded in sixty four countries. How many of those are VPNs? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Probably sixty three. Right. Um, how, let's subtract the countries we've traveled to. And then listen to our own show <laughs> right. while we traveled. Right. <laughs> I know we have at least one listener with relatives that live in England, and I think they force them to listen. I I have personally listened to the show in Canada on more than one occasion. All right, a yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't have any other Canada 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 jokes. Canada, I don't know. Um, that one's it's yeah a, a, something with a boot. I don't know. There's a Oh, a rim shot. Oh, oh, Barney, we should turn up the sound because we've got some sound effects. Um, the I miss sad trombone. We have sad trombone. There it is. I came prepared, Scott. Um, our top five episodes in terms of downloads um, from November of 2021, what's happening with the disability waiting list? That was a pretty pivotal episode um, because since then, they made some big changes, right? That they've... Um, effectively eliminated the waiting list. I think there's some, some people would take umbrage with that, but I think by and large, this, the state invested a lot of money uh, into working on that and has made some big progress from even two years ago. Yeah, I think by any measure, there has been um, massive strides there. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, in January of 2020, our session preview, like we often like to visit with members of the legislature, we'll have Senator Kurt here tonight to do a bit of a preview for next year. Um, also, let's be honest, in January of 2020, things were rosy. We didn't know what was about to happen. Do you, I mean, I, I remember at uh, our, our old studio, we were, and I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I was just dumb, that's possible. But I remember sitting. We were talking about. We were talking about. We were talking about this respiratory virus that had surfaced in China. Um, it had because you and I are nerds and you know, we follow were, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we were we were talking about it, and I remember we talked about it on the show, and there had been a study that was published looking at this disease that had gone on a cruise ship, and it looked at mortality, and it looked at symptoms. And I remember we talked about it, and I, I, I was like, I don't think it's gonna be that bad. <laughs> like. Like, it's, it seems like it's going to be, you know, <laughs> fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, the third most downloaded episode was the 2019 wrap-up, right? So at the, which was in December of 19, it might have been our, the previous episode, those two, December of 19 and January of 20, 
A lot of folks are at home listening to podcasts. I well, guess. Was was that in 19, December 19? Was that wrap up because we had a special session that year? We had, I think, two. Two that two year, special. right? Yeah. How, we, I didn't count how many special sessions we've had in the last six years, but it's been I mean, at least, close to six. I was going to say at least six, right? <laughs> like, it's perpetual. Yeah. Right? And, the, and, and which ones, uh, extra points if you know which ones have run concurrently. Oh. We need Sean Ashley here from eCapital or whatever it is, Quorum Call. Concurrently. I, um, That's a great word. Scott, you know, when we started this podcast in 2017, the first episode I recorded uh, just one street north of us here, upstairs above camps, um, Scott Mitchell from News 9 had an office there and let me use his office. And it was me and with a microphone and a little recording device by myself in a big room. And I was just like, this is a crazy idea. Like, this is going to be terrible. And we, our goal was to record during session to kind of give updates and then take a break in the off season. And that very year we had one or two special sessions and it just, and the, the health department scandal and it just kept going. And back then we moved from borrowing an office to your uh, upstairs extra bedroom. Upper room studios. Upper room studios. That's right. <laughs> it was... Um, Which was you and I at a desk with one microphone. <laughs> Look how far we've come. Well, and it was challenging because in that house, the uh, the air conditioning upstairs was not awesome. And so if we, were trying to sweaty. if we were trying to record in the summer, it was like, okay, do we record in 100 degrees or do we have the incredibly noisy window unit running in the background? Right. So we would like turn the window unit on, get it cool, and then like shut it off and record yeah. and then like turn it back on. like. And if you go back and listen to those episodes, you can hear the cicadas outside also. <laughs> yes, yes. Which is real. Some ambiance. The windows were not uh, insulated. Right. Uh, so then two other episodes from 2020. One, the most powerful governor in history, question mark. That was after the legislature had given Governor Stitt some additional power um, for hiring and firing of agency heads. Just thinking about that gives me the first migraine I've had since I had brain surgery. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, and then an episode called Love's Executioner, which I believe was about the death penalty, but I'd have to go back and listen to it. Yeah. Um, Scott, we mentioned the cicadas that we would hear in the early days. What other memories do you have of our podcast that are perhaps humorous? I mean, uh, my, my, my late dog, Juno, would always make an appearance, right? Um, we'd be recording and you'll hear this like, Clickety, clickety, clack yeah. in the in the background. The distinctive sound of dog fingernails on a wooden floor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Not fingernails; they don't have fingers. This is I. I think you'll find it funny. Um, I I hope that Commissioner Osborne finds it funny, especially because she's here tonight. Um, the, the first time that we had her on the show, I think it was the first time um, we were going to have her on uh, at my house yeah. in Upper Room Studios. I was running late. I had either gotten stuck at work or hospital or something. I, I don't remember why I was running late. The house was locked. Because you weren't home. I, yeah, I, yeah, I was at home. Um, I was yet. early as usual. Correct. And my brother, who lived in the same neighborhood at the time, sent me a text message and was like, Hey, dude, uh, I'm walking my dogs. But like, Did you know that there's like a guy and some lady sitting on your front porch? And I was like, Oh, God. <laughs> well, you texted me. I said, hey, you know, we're here. No problem. We're just getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And you're like, please don't let the dog eat Labor Commissioner Osborne. And I was like, no, no, we're outside. We can't even get in. You're fine. We, uh, 
in, I think, 2018, we had a number of candidates on um, from all parties. We tried to get, I think we had almost every candidate for statewide office yes. from both parties yes. on the podcast. We worked really hard at that, that we won't ever do that again. <laughs> but it was... Have um, we ever had a libertarian? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't think we have. We should. James Davenport is here. I believe he might be a, a libertarian. He's not a candidate, but he's a professor. He'd be good. Intriguing. Uh, Chris Powell, we should invite him on. We should. Um, we, I will say, in 2018, there was um, there were two candidates. I think they were both Democrats um, running for state office. Um, Kimberly Fobbs was running for, I don't remember, state treasurer? auditor, one of those things, and then Fred Durrell was running for labor commissioner, yes. and they, uh, he's an older white man, she was a, a younger black woman, and because they were underfunded Democrats on the campaign trail, they became friends and started traveling together, and so we had them on twice because it was awesome. They had the best stories, yeah. and they were so nervous when they came in to your upper, upper right. room studios, <laughs> and so we said, you guys want some whiskey? And Fred was like, Hell yeah. <laughs> and Kimberly was like, oh, okay. Um, and that made for a really great episode. <laughs> they were, helped him relax. And it, it, they really had some endearing stories. They both yeah. lost. Um, but it was like, I, I think, um, I went back and re-listened that episode recently. And it really, even a second time was endearing. Because they were so earnest. Like they really, I think th- they ran as good of a campaign as they could. And they really cared about the state, and to hear them as unseasoned, you know, non-politicians for whatever that is when you're actually a candidate. But they they had some fresh takes that I thought was kind of nice. Yeah, I um, this isn't a funny memory, but I mean, I really do. Uh, I I I really appreciated um, getting to have uh, Lieutenant Governor Pinnell on the show. We went to a um, donut store in Guthrie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anybody here know Missy's Donuts in Guthrie? I mean, if you, right. somebody if, knows. If you don't, you should because yeah. they're awesome. Um, but we we met uh, we met the lieutenant governor there at seven a.m. on well we were there at seven a.m. The, the light gov was a couple minutes late I think. That's um, but uh, we at seven a.m. on a Saturday morning, um, and for like like an hour and a half, um, and that was just that was cool. I feel like that was a, that was an experience that um, you know you don't expect that you're going to get to do. That was not. Part of career day when I was in high school. Yeah, no. right, right. We've never had a sitting governor on, though. We've only had Governor Fallon and Governor Stitt, and I, I think it's safe to say that we've shat on them enough that it's probably not hey. a safe space. Governor Stitt, you are welcome anytime. We'll, uh, you're, you're welcome anytime, um, as long as we can ask you any question. Yeah, whoa, that's, that's the, there's the fly in the ointment there. Um, and I will say that I think we have tried repeatedly to say that, like, Scott and I are not journalists. Um, but we owe a great debt to the tremendous journalists in this state, yep. uh, many of whom have left and those who have stayed. Um, but we rely heavily, as I'm sure all of you in the audience and those who are listening to this later have as well, um, from Nondoc, which started around the same time. Yep. Um, and uh, Oklahoma Watch, now we have Oklahoma Voice, um, uh, the Oklahoman, the Tulsa World, all of the regional newspapers that are, have mostly died off now. 
Enid News and Eagle, anybody? Yeah. The Enid News and Eagle the, is a fantastic newspaper. The Duncan Banner? There was a period where they were really breaking some big stories, and mm-hmm. everyone's like, where is Duncan exactly? Yeah. But yeah. The, the, I, I, I actually, I, um, I read the Enid News and Eagle fairly frequently. Um, they do a great job of reporting on things that are happening in northern Oklahoma. Um, they have a really, I think, strong editorial page. Um, yeah. I think they are, they're like a, to me, they're a great example of like a, Local, like I hate the term like small town, but like not like major metropolitan newspaper. Yeah. Like if you if you want good local news, the Enid, check out the Enid News and Eagle. We have at least two people here who grew up in Enid. I've seen. So uh, let's give a cheer if you're from Enid. They don't, they don't Neither like one of them will cheer. <laughs> Everyone's like, I'm I'm from there, but don't don't bring it up. No. Uh, they've been in the news for some not great reasons lately. But I think Cindy Allen is right now the editor at the. Mm. Enid. She's great. I She's, believe that is correct. We've served on the on a board together. Um, Scott, wh- what do you? We're we're not going to do a usually usually on the show. You guys know we talk about current events and what's happening. We're somewhat intentionally not really doing that tonight because it's a different occasion. Yeah, and 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 I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. You know, like I said, with um, being out for as long as I was and, and coming back, I'm not as I'm not as up to snuff as I as I might usually be. I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what what's on the legislative docket this next year. Like, what are what are what are the things that um, the the leaders at 23rd Lincoln? Um, what do they see as priorities? What what do they want to tackle? Um, the budget, of course, is always a looming is always a looming issue. Um, you know, education um, right now. If I was gonna if I was gonna pick the thing that's most you know closest to me that's happening in Oklahoma right now, it would be what's happening with our education system with State Superintendent Walters, what his relationship is like with local school boards. Um, I, I, I mean... There was like, some bad news on that front today. I haven't read all the articles, but the headlines yeah. enough made me curse and yeah. close my phone. Right. Uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, yeah. You know, I'd, I would love to see if the legislature is going to do... You know, try try to wait in there at all. Um, you know... Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, you know, Attorney General uh, Drummond um, has been very um, active. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would say every week. <laughs> right. I'm interested to see um, what that looks like um, over the next 12 months. And then, of course, um, I think there's a presidential election next year. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Ooh, um, <laughs> speaking of which, Scott, if you'd like to run for president in the state of Oklahoma, filing is next week. All you well, need is five thousand dollars, and you can be on the ballot. Well, I mean, I mean, there's worse ways to, <laughs> to blow five grand, right? Like, right, right. I can go to Mexico, or I can run for president in one state. You know, it's it's interesting. You and I had a we had a, a fairly lengthy text conversation about this yesterday. So, it, and if you guys listen to the show, you, you and again, I assume you do because you're here. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, I, let's talk afterwards. <laughs> right? How, how, how did you wind up, up here? I am not a third party candidate guy typically. Like I Yeah, you know, you're much more partisan than I am. I well it's it's not even supposed to, it's that we don't we don't have a parliamentary system, right? We don't have a parliamentary system. So if you run outside one of the two major parties and you don't win, like you don't you don't you don't get No one anything. knows your name. Right. You don't get anything for that, right? No. This, we do not have we do not have proportional represent you don't have proportional representation. So 
right now, and I'm not saying that this is good, but from a practical standpoint, the two major parties have such a like strangle hold that it's, uh, it's the cynical part of me has trouble understanding the utility of a third party candidate in most instances. And particularly when you have an election where you have a candidate like, you know, Donald Trump, man, it seems like dangerous to have, to have someone else to have someone else on the ballot. Right. That's the, I mean, that's the big conversation, right, is that anyone else who's running is has a bigger risk of drawing votes away from a candidate who could beat Trump. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yesterday, yesterday I, uh, I, I saw in the news that something happened that I was like, that's interesting. Um, Mark Cuban is selling his ownership of the Dallas Mavericks. He's leaving Shark Tank. And... And most importantly of all, has said he has no plans to run for president, which I think means he's running for president. <laughs> like when they say no, I'm not, versus I have no plans. Um, I you know I have no idea if Mark Cuban's going to run or not. I have no idea if he would be a good president or not. But for reasons that I can't articulate, like I I really am not 100 percent sure why the idea of him running doesn't piss me off as much as like a Howard Schultz did, for instance, um, or even like an Andrew Yang. Um, like I, for, for some reason, the idea of, of Cuban running, I, I wonder, I wonder if he is a candidate, I don't think he would win, but I wonder if he's a candidate that would draw more from like both sides of the aisle yeah. if he was to run as an independent. Like could he be a viable independent candidate. And there's a part of me that thinks he could, but I don't really, I don't know. Uh, who knows, right? Like, I think we are going into another presidential election with two immensely unpopular candidates. And that's, like, I just, the, the meta conversation is like, how did we as a country get here? And why are these two old guys the leaders on this? And like, is there a is there a way to design a democracy that doesn't result in two massively unpopular candidates? And there is, but we don't have enough time for that today. That's like a whole <laughs> other, that's that's like a whole other podcast. See the previous two hundred and forty nine <laughs> episodes. Um, Scott, do you want to jump over to some trivia? Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, audience, we need two participants, two volunteers. There's not that many of you. I will. <laughs> I will call on you if you have to. There are more than two of you, though. We always say, we have, we have you know, both of our listeners. I assume you're both here, and you brought like 30 of All your right, closest King friends. King has volunteered, and Valerie in the back has volunteered. Was that an actual hand? Come on up. Go over there and get that mic. You can sit here. Oh, wow, thank you. Hello. All right, have a seat uh, in Scott's stool over there, Valerie. Um, I will be honest, I, we did not plan who would be the volunteers ahead of time, but Kang was one of our policy fellows last fall. Um, everyone, welcome Kang. His lovely wife Hannah is here. I will say, they did get married during their fellowship with us, so if you have children who are looking for a spouse, perhaps an internship with Let's Fix This is for you. Uh, and Valerie is my sister. so. Um, this, she is also our bartender this evening, so a big thanks for her for um, having the license and the wherewithal to hand out beer. That's really all it takes. That's very hard. Um, thanks. Yeah, you can move we, your beer. We, we called Andy, and we were like, hey, um, we're, in, we're in Vegas. Um. That's right, yeah. We, last fall, 
uh, we were supposed to have a meeting, me and Kang and Hannah, and he texted and was like, hey, uh, can we have a short meeting today? He's like, we can't be there in person, and we're in Vegas. We eloped. And I was like, I remember where I was driving. As one and, does. And I was like, what the hell? Okay. And I was like, well, we don't have to meet today, guys. You just got married. And so we had a, like a five-minute meeting for me to say, congratulations. Uh, safe travels. Um, but hey, they're back. It's a year later. They're still married. So far, I think it's a, a rousing success. Great. All right. So have either of you ever listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR? Great. No. You, Kang, you'll get a hang of it. Don't you worry. All right. So we've got uh, three rounds of questions. They range for information about Oklahoma history, some stuff about our podcast, and then kind of just a, a potpourri. Was that what you were going to say? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and uh, we will alternate. Um, I will ask questions to Kang. Scott will ask questions to Val. And we'll just do that. How does that sound? Audience, uh, you know, do whatever you want to do. I was going to say don't shout out answers, but who the hell cares? <laughs> this is fun. All right. Um, uh, Scott, you want to start? Sure. All right. You ready? Yes. Question one. The Oklahoma Territory was opened for settlement through land runs, and in 1889, thousands made their way to the Twin Territories to participate in the first of these dramatic events. Each race began with a pistol shot, and those who jumped the gun were called what? Sooners. That is correct. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, just, Scott, for context, people who attend OU are called what? They are called Sooners. And people who attend OSU are called what? Losers? Oh. <laughs> Cowboys. For the record, I am a Texan. <laughs> um, Scott, what's the word for when you take something that isn't yours? That is stealing. Audience, uh, this land we're on, what is this land called? Stolen land. Okay, just wanted to get that up there. <laughs> All right, uh, question two, uh, one point for Val. Scott, you got to keep score of hers. I'll do over here. Love it. Um, I will lose track in a few questions. Uh, Kang, William Henry Davis Murray played a pivotal role in Oklahoma State constitutional conventions in 1905 and 1906, and he served as the state's first Speaker of the House and later as the ninth governor of Oklahoma. Most of us know him by a more agricultural nickname, do you know what it is? Can I phone a friend? You can phone a friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's your. Or actually, no. I'll ask the audience. Yeah, that's the same thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> Anyone know William Henry Davis Murray? Alfalfa, Alfalfa Bill Murray. Alfalfa He's, that's Bill right. Murray. He served. <laughs> well. I'm going to mark it down as one half a point. He <laughs> served as governor from 1931 to 35. Before that, though, he served in the state house, then ran for governor several times, lost every time. Then he moved to Bolivia with a group of Oklahomans to form a <laughs> private colony. Then he moved back, ran for governor again, and won. There you go. Wow. As you do. However, uh, he is now best remembered, I think, for being massively corrupt and an outspoken racist. So... Question three. <laughs> Before Oklahoma became a state, it was almost two states. 
1905, prominent residents and indigenous leaders from across the region known as Indian Territory held a convention in Muskogee and wrote a constitution for what would have been the state of what? This is a toughie. You can ask the audience as well. I would like to ask the audience, please. Audience, what was the name of the other territory that could have become a state? The other half of the twin territories. Oh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. I think that was Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne. That's good. <laughs> so what we now know as Oklahoma was divided roughly in half with the Sequoia Territory in the east and the Oklahoma Territory in the west. Voters in the proposed state of Sequoia ratified the Constitution that was drafted at the convention in 1905 and sent it to Washington. But the United States Congress refused to consider it. That led to another constitutional convention two years later in which the two territories joined to form a single state of Oklahoma. Oh. History. We're going to give you half a point, too. Okay, All right. So we're both at one and a half points. Woof. King, uh, question four. We all know that there are 50 states. Did you know that? I've heard. Great. All right. Do you know which number was Oklahoma? Like, which number we were admitted to the Union? As a hint, it's on our original state flag. And on Scott's shirt. And on Scott's shirt. 46. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, those shirts will be for sale afterwards over here on the side. Uh, 46. That's right. Uh, audience, I have a question for you. Does anybody know the last four, so states 47 through 50, what they were? Everyone knows Hawaii and Alaska, but no one knows 47 and 48. Arizona, New Mexico. That's right. Points for whoever said that. Uh, the last two, so Hawaii and Alaska, were both admitted in 1959. Anybody here born before 1959? Yeah, sure, my dad in the back, a few. <laughs> Isn't that, like this, I, when I was writing this up, it occurred to me, like, this is wild. That we know, like, our parents were alive when there were only 48 states. Like, it, I think for all of us growing up, we just always had 50 states. We think this is, like, this is the thing with American democracy is that we haven't been around that long. <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff that we take for granted that is, like, pretty recent and malleable. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you, you're... People, there's a lot of people in Europe live in houses that are older than our country. Yeah, right. 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 Um, does anyone here know what the first state was that was admitted to the Union? I heard Somebody it. heard it. Delaware. Nice. Well done. Delaware in uh, December 7th, 19, or excuse me, 19, 1787, uh, just five days before Pennsylvania. Great. All right. This is tough. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know this. Yeah, there's no way you this know this, is, one. this And, and I, I'll be impressed if anybody knows this. Okay. Boise City, Oklahoma, was bombed during which war? I know, right? What was Boise, City? Boise City, Oklahoma, was what? bombed during which war? Oklahoma was made a state in 46... No, so, 1907, we oh, were I mean, oh, the shit. 46th state. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. I was looking at the number on your shirt. Um, You're getting closer, should, though. Yeah. So I'm going to say the First World War. Ooh, very close. A reasonable guess. It was the Second World War. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I should have said um, that. So on July 5th, 1943, 
Boise City was bombed by a B-17 bomber that had gotten off course and upon seeing the four lights at the Boise City Courthouse, decided that it resembled their target at Conlin, Texas. Five bombs were dropped on the courthouse while the sixth one was dropped further southeast and is now on display. Each bomb contained four pounds of powder and 96 pounds of sand. There were no injuries. They tried to have a celebration of this, like a 100th anniversary, and none of the airmen wanted to come. They're like, no, I'm good. I'll stay home. One of them wrote a letter. Just like, I'm really sorry for bombing your town. That is a wild fact. All right. Uh, King number six in 2018. So we're going to fast forward 50 years. Um, In 2018, at the end of Governor Fallon's annual State of the State speech, protesters in the gallery unfurled a giant banner featuring a caricature of Governor Fallon's face and text that read, Oklahoma, state of what? Hmm. Here's a hint. There's also a pit named after this. <laughs> the pit of... <laughs> I'm going I'm to ask the audience on this one. Can I, can I Somebody said it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I, think, I think she should steal the point. Sorry. Should we uh, authorize despair? a steal? Despair. Despair. Yes. Well, yes. well done, <laughs> Valerie. That's right. Uh, Governor Fallon complu- concluded her speech with the words, let's get to work, which was immediately followed by the banner being unfurled from one side of the gallery while another unrelated protester began shouting from the other side some obscenities. Uh, Those in attendance were stunned, and some of us craning our necks to see the banner while staying carefully out of frame of the news photos. Um, If you Google this, almost every photo cuts off like at the seat next to me, and I'm so thankful of that, because I was like, what has happened? I don't know these people. that was a wild. That was my first state of the spate, and I was like, "This is crazy." Does this happen every year? No. I wonder how many people in the audience were there. It was packed. It was a full. I mean, people here in this yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people witnessed that? I say, I was uh, like, I know this one person was yeah. there. <laughs> Danielle, yeah, Bo, yeah, Bo. I was probably sitting next to Bo actually. Um, great. All right. Good. Well, so Valerie's ahead. I don't know what the score is, but you've got you stole one, so you're ahead. Um, Kang. No, no, oh, no, no, no. Sorry, I'm off now. This is, this is my favorite question. Yes. Um, what is the name of the former Oklahoma Attorney General who was appointed by Trump to run the EPA but had to, desi- had to resign due to just a whole bunch of scandals and pretending to be president and then later became a lobbyist for the coal industry? Who lobbies for coal? <laughs> right? He's one of the few people we have special music for. <laughs> right? After, who goes from being the, like, secretary of the environmental protection, administrator of the environmental protection agency to lobbying for coal? Scott Pruitt? Indeed! Hey, well done. He was the first person to have his own theme music on the podcast. Audience, <laughs> can anybody, anybody know the name of our dedicated segment for Scott Pruitt? Pruitt Watch! Yes! <laughs> Wish I had a t-shirt cannon right now. Just to, that's great. Uh, he's not in the news as much lately. It's sad. 
Oh, I should I should read the read the answer. Um, Pruitt, I, I got so excited. I just Scott Pruitt was confirmed as EPA chief in February 2017, and by July of the following year, he was under 14 separate federal investigations <laughs> by the Government Accountability Office, the EPA Inspector General, the White House Office of Management and Budget, the U.S. Office of Special Counsel, two House committees over his spending habits, conflicts of interest, extreme secrecy, and management practices. Stand-up guy. Good heavens. <laughs> Uh, didn't he also build some kind of like secret soundproof booth? Office? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, built, he built them for it. He, yeah. He asked them to pay for it. In the words of Bugs Bunny, what a maroon. <laughs> uh, all right, so number eight. Now we're Kang, we're back to you. All right. Name the rock band from Oklahoma City whose song Do You Realize was formerly the state Oklahoma, the Oklahoma State rock song, but is no longer. <laughs> They also used to own this building. My lovely wife, Hannah, here chronically makes fun of me because she says I don't listen to real music. Yeah. Um, I, you know, she, I will defer to her on oh, this. You want to phone so a friend is what no, you're saying. Yeah, her, her specifically. What is it, babe? There we Indeed. go. Indeed. Dang it. <laughs> we'll count that. That was a marriage teamwork thing. That counts. That's right. In March of 2009, the song Do You Realize was announced as the official state rock song of Oklahoma after winning an online vote among 10 finalists as authorized by the state legislature. There was 21,000 votes cast. This is like a mayoral election. Um, 51%, just barely a plurality, were a majority were for Do You Realize. The Senate approved the choice unanimously, but the resolution fell three votes short in the House. Predictable. Uh, <laughs> Governor Brad Henry subsequently announced that he would issue an executive order in lieu of the resolution. And then two years later, Governor Fallon was in office and did not renew that executive order, thereby removing the song's designation as the official rock song of the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. Right. It lives in our hearts. All right, you ready? In 2016, neither the Republican nor Democratic winner of the Oklahoma presidential primary election became their party's respective nominee for president. Who were they? This is also a tough one. What year did you say? 2016. Who won the primary for the presidency for the Republican and Democratic parties in So we'll tell you who it's not. It yeah. was not Trump, and it was not Clinton. Correct. Um... Indeed, there's number, that's number one. Ted Cruz, who, She's who, a ventriloquist. Who won, who, who, won, who won the Democratic nominee for, pres, for the presidency in Oklahoma in 2016? Bernie Sanders. Really? There we go. U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders from the great state of totally Vermont. That out of my mind, I that's guess. right. The whole election. Uh, all right, so last question from round one for Kang. Also in 2016... One presidential candidate attended Oklahoma City's Northwest Classen High School. Who was it? Yang. No, not Yang. Damn it. <laughs> Good try, though. It was, there we go. Elizabeth Warren. Great. There's people waving from the back. Everyone was lots of applause. Great. Sorry, sorry, Katie. All right, we're on to the lightning round, Scott. Right, I don't have go. lightning round music, do I? No. First question of the lightning round for Valerie. What was the name of the prosperous neighborhood known as Black Wall Street that was destroyed during the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921? 
was it? Greenwood. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Kang, what is the name of the recently released movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio about the Osage being murdered for oil rights? Flower Moon. <laughs> You're halfway there. <laughs> we'll give you half a point. Colors <laughs> of the Flower Moon. Valerie, Governor Stitt has frequently touted, and on the podcast we have frequently made fun of, an electric vehicle company based in Oklahoma that just this month... Canoe! Finally... Yeah! I just drove by it the Didn't other day. Didn't even finish the question. Nice. Uh, King, name the charter school that received and then had to pay back tens of millions of dollars to the state due to a massive corruption scandal. Epic. There you go. Great. You lose if you don't get this question. <laughs> Name the restaurant chain that received and had to pay back. Swadley's! King, name the civil rights leader from Oklahoma who led sit-ins at Katz's Deli in Oklahoma City. Should listen to the audience. Oh, no. No? Who? Looper. There you go. Clara Looper. That's right. Valerie, what is the state bird? The um, Roadrunner. No, no it's a tail. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish. It'd be way cooler Roadrunner if it was. Roadrunner is native. It's one of the Oklahoma. The scissor tail flycatcher. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. I didn't know that. Uh, They're in the zoo. King, it's a harder one for you. Do you know the Oklahoma State Lizard? We have a state lizard? That's the answer I expected. <laughs> Anybody out here know? <laughs> it is. Right, Mountain Boomer, that's exactly right. right. Beautiful, a beautiful lizard, if I do say so. Okay, this, you're, you're going to know this one too. This, I still, can't, I still can't believe this is a thing. What is the name of Garth Brooks' emo alter ego? Uh, Chris Gaines? That's the one. <laughs> well done, sis. Oh, man. Uh, King, what, is, what city was the original state capital? Tulsa. Oh, oh, Guthrie! That's another steal, yeah. That was quick. Okay. Really? I did, yes, Guthrie. All right. In the middle of the night. Folk singer, folk singer Woody Guthrie was born in what Oklahoma town? Okima. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct. Great job, Valerie. <laughs> you can, like, see the light bulb go on. That was great. Uh, King, Oklahoma has produced more of these space-going careers than any other state. There's really only one space-going I, I suppose yeah. it's an astronaut. It is an astronaut. <laughs> there we go. All right, well done. In Oklahoma, it is illegal to do what to a horse? And no, it's not that. I mean, <laughs> it probably is, but that's not the answer. In Oklahoma, it is illegal to do what to a horse? <laughs> Sing to it? Sing to it. As far as I am aware, there is no statute that prohibits you from singing to your horse. However, there is a law on the books that says you may not trip a horse. Sweep, sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. <laughs> the legs. Plural. Legs. All right, King. Uh, State Superintendent Ryan Walters is known for publishing videos he filmed where? In his car. Car. Yeah, in his car. That's right. I think we tell the score officially, it's a tie. Yeah, this is like, whose line is it anyway? <laughs> it's a million to a million, the points don't matter. All right, um, uh, do we want to do the round three big money question? Is Scott? there money involved? There's no money involved, but you get it. <laughs> You'll feel really good about yourself. 
Yes. I need that. <laughs> we'll just, um, I don't have a pin, but let's just do it as a audience participation here. Yes. All right. So uh, the Oklahoma State meal consists of 12 items. Hmm. See if we can name them. Chicken, chicken, blue, chicken fried steak chicken fried is okra. one. Okra, that's right. Cornbread, cornbread and okra are both on there. Cornbread. No. Mashed potatoes and gravy are not on there. Any kind of fruit salad? <laughs> no fruit salad. Not, not swadleys, but, but you're close. <laughs> Green bean casserole? No, so no. Like bar- oh, barbecue pork is on there. Barbecue pork that counts. Onion burgers? No, nope. we invented that. Damn. We did. Uh, you eat these for you eat these for breakfast a lot with gravy. Grits. No. Biscuits. Biscuits is on there. Okay. Yep, and grits are I on there bread. as well. Uh, there's a vegetable we eat a lot in summer. It's yellow squash. Indeed. Squash. Pecan, Pecan pie. pie. And then there's a fruit. There's of course the most befitting Oklahoma thing ever. There's one fruit in this meal. Watermelon. No, you would think it'd be watermelon. Right, right. No, but this is from Stillwell, which is the... Peaches. Not peaches. No. You're closer than watermelon. It's the only fruit where the seeds are on the outside. Ooh. Strawberries. 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 There's, a, there's a factoid for you. Well done. <laughs> right? I stole that from the West Wing. I think we've got... I watched that just the other night. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a trivia question. All right, so I think we got everything there. So barbecue pork, biscuits, black-eyed peas. We didn't get that one. Chicken fried steak, corn, cornbread, fried okra, grits, sausage and gravy, squash, strawberries, pecan pie. I feel like the very hungry caterpillar. Got <laughs> that. All right. Um, and then we'll just do a, a final tiebreaker. This isn't a tie. You both get a t-shirt. But um, how many times has the Bedlam football game between OU and OSU been played? For the record, I am a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't know? Is that I what you're saying? Gang, right. do you have a guess? More than seven. More than seven. C- correct. Oh, I didn't know there was a parameter. Less than a billion. It's a, a hun- 118 times. 118 times. Let and yes, more than seven. OSU won the last one. That's right. All right. Uh, audience, give it up for <laughs> Valerie and Kang. If you guys will visit the merch booth after the show, we'll hook you up with a T-shirt. Hey, I've got an applause button. All right. Um, Up next, we've got a special guest for you guys. Let me clear my mess. Scott, this really is like our regular podcast. We're just sweeping up after ourselves. Um, Audience, please put your hands together. I'd like to welcome to the stage uh, Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne. Uh, I, I was mean, but I did acknowledge they won the last game. <laughs> Commissioner yeah. Osborne, this is your sixth appearance on the podcast, making you our most frequent guest. Wow. Thank you excited. for the invites. <laughs> uh, it's very excited. Well, we are um, always thrilled to have you, whether we're at Scott's house, locked out, um, um, <laughs> dealing mosquitoes, or here in this great facility. Uh, speaking of which, uh, before we get going, audience, uh, can we get a round of applause for the Factory Obscura staff? If you haven't had a chance to visit the actual immersive art experience on the other side of the building, and I know some of you haven't, you definitely should. It's phenomenal. It's great. Uh, and they're very courteous. Uh, Kelsey, Barney on sound, Lindsay's around here. Thanks so much for having us here. Um, we're super stoked. 
Commissioner Osborne, you have been in office now for longer than I can count uh, between the House and the, the Department of Labor. Um, and you've been in the Labor Commissioner role now for six, is it six years? Five. Five years? Mm -hmm. Okay. It'll be six soon, though. Um, what have you, like, what's been most surprising during that time? Well, I think if you want to add it together, what I find the most surprising is how much politics has changed in 15 years in Oklahoma. When I came into the legislature, I'd never run for a political office, and Brad Henry, I was his last two years, and we had very close numbers of Democrats and Republicans in the legislature, and get this, we actually worked together, and it was lovely. And it really was that way of the first, I would say, two years of the Fallon administration, too. That was kind of a sweet spot because when your numbers are not a supermajority like the Democrats have been from statehood, the Republicans are now, you get so much more done. There was more respect. There was not the shutting out of ideas and opinions. And there wasn't the ugliness. I would probably say that if someone asked me to run for office now and how different it is, I would say no. And I understand why good people don't want to run for office. It's ugly and divisive. And you have to really fight to find the other politicians or statesmen who have a true north. And that's my guide for who I want to work with. I don't want to work with the guy or the gal who wants to be on a Fox News snippet or making a video in their car. I want to work with somebody behind the scenes who has a true north and really wants a better Oklahoma for the next generation. Can we just, just mic drop? Should we just like, just end it right yeah. there? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me to hear you dis describe your 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 first couple of years in office that way because it is it is so different um, now and 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 the way the kind of the way things operate now are what has been the paradigm since I you know have really been focused on what happens in, in politics in Oklahoma. I'm curious, how do you find how do you find that politics does or doesn't influence the work that you're able to do as as the labor commissioner? Now that you're, you, you know, you're you're an executive, you're running a you're running an agency, you're running a department, I guess. Um, how is how do you have to navigate politics in that way that's different than working in the legislature? So. A lot of our state, well, there's 11 statewide elected officials, and a lot of us run an agency, then, and you never hear about us, and that's a good thing. That means we're quietly doing the work we're supposed to. Glenn Mulready is insurance commissioner. He was an insurance agent before he's been in that field. Kim David uh, is, and Todd Hyatt and Bob Anthony, you know, they, they, well, two of those three were in the legislature. They're at the Corporation Commission. You don't hear that much. And then you do have some that really want to be on every five-minute news snippet, you know. The ones you don't hear about are quietly doing the work. And, and it's an advantage to be a former legislator when you run for that because what we have to do during session, which seems you know, roughly half of the year, we have to constantly monitor the bills at the Capitol. And when I first came in, I had never heard of this being done, and now it's done daily. It's called shucking bills. And so somebody puts a bill through and it, it makes it to committee, but it doesn't get a hearing out. And then the last week of session now, somebody says, I've got this great idea. And of course it's something insane. 
And, uh, <laughs> and so it's like, let's shuck that bill and stick this language in because it's too late to put in a new bill. So we're just sitting there minding our business at the Department of Labor and seven bills pop up that affect us and no one ever called to ask our opinion. So for instance, Rob Standridge, uh, who's a senator from Norman, and this is not an affront to him. I've, I've had people, J.J. Dossett also did it to me. Both of them filed bills without talking to us that would have merged our agency with the OESC and put me in charge, which is great. In a lot of states, the Labor Department and the Securities Commissioner combined. We have 80 people, they have 800. Now, I'm glad they put me as the one that would run both, <laughs> but you know, we don't have room for them, and it's a whole different mission. It has absolutely nothing to what we do, but Republicans often feel like they're getting good brownie points and another stripe on the generals thing if they can consolidate an agency. Okay, let's, instead of just doing it for name, why? Is it going to be better? If you're not aware, the Department of Human Services, which is a huge, unwieldy, horrifying agency, a lot of times because of outcomes for people, and it's, it's not the fault of a lot of the good people that work there. It used to be three agencies. Birth to 17, which made sense. You're dealing with foster care. You could really focus on this. 18 to 64, you're dealing with the people in the middle, maybe developmental disabilities to whatever else. And then 65 and up, geriatric, you're dealing, of course, I'm 60, so geriatric is offensive when I say that, but anyway. <laughs> uh, but you're dealing with things in nursing homes to Medicare or to whatever else. Then somebody had the bright idea, and I'm sure it was a Republican, let's consolidate these in the name of, you know, getting this right. Well, now it's a huge conglomerate. And now you can't find a chain of anything. Consolidation isn't always the answer. And so one thing I'll say, and then I'll turn it back, is I think legislators have forgotten what their role is. And the role of government is to provide the fabric that allows society to function. That's it. No one else will build our roads and bridges, will educate our populace, will make sure that we have mental and physical health care, you know, just the administration of the things that it takes to survive and thrive. But somehow, we're now electing people that don't remember that and they think their job is to save our soul. And if you want to do that, you need to go do it in a pulpit on Sunday. That's not our job. I I want to say preach, but it sounds like the wrong thing. <laughs> it is. I, I do think it's funny how often, like I didn't have this awareness before I started doing this work, but that every few years it's like, let's build more agencies. Then it's like, let's consolidate those agencies. And, and neither of those steps is like anything really being done, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just like on paper. But it looks like you're right. doing something. Because then they can right. send the mailer saying, yeah. guess what I did? I did the opposite of what the last guy did. Yes, the pendulum and, swings back right. and forth. And know? I think it's incumbent then on us voters mm -hmm. to like cut through some of that BS and be like, listen, we would like you to govern mm -hmm. in a way that is meaningful, that is respectful of people, that like lifts up Oklahomans in a way that actually matters mm -hmm. and not just like shuffling titles on a piece of paper. And that's why I love, when I first met you at the Capitol, I think your mom was with you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I just remember thinking, this is exactly what we need, normal citizens advocating. Years before, we've been told that's what the Tea Party was. And for about five minutes, I think it was, you know? And, and then it was usurped by the Koch brothers and everybody else, and it was hugely funded by dark money. It wasn't what it was. 
I always say if you're in a rural town and you go to church or you're in Walmart and you see your local rep and they're a friendly, nice guy, and it's like, hey, you know, he's great. He knows me by my first name. But do you really know what kind of bills he's filing? Do you really know how he's voting? Has he taken away your reproductive rights? Has he, whatever it is, we have to have organizations that make us rethink, wait a minute, just because Joe's attractive and I see him and he's friendly and he knows my name, he might not be the best rep. I mean, we have to dig down on who we're electing because at the end of the day, who we're electing is the ones making all these decisions that affect our lives, where my grandmother had more rights than my daughter has in 2023. What, what is, I was going to ask something else, but now I'm changing my mind. Um, <laughs> where, what is, and this is, I guess, like a piggyback to what you just said. I agree, right? Elect different people. But then the question becomes, man, that feels like such a huge mountain to climb, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, it feels like... Um, and I mean, I don't think it's, it's, it's not a secret. Like I'm a progressive, I'm a Democrat. And so that's what? The, <laughs> stunning, right? <laughs> it's the first you've ever heard of this. Um, but, but I don't think, I don't even think it just, it certainly applies to Democrats in Oklahoma that it can feel like just this huge lift mm -hmm. just, just to win a, a state legislative mm -hmm. seat. But I wonder if oftentimes that same, um, that same weight is felt by folks in the Republican Party who who may not want to elect a Democrat, but they also don't necessarily want to elect a Ryan Walters, mm -hmm. right? So how do we how do we elect different people? Like how do we operationalize that? One thing that makes it harder in Oklahoma is that we're a closed primary state. And so if you are a Democrat or independent, 80% of the decisions are made before you ever get a voice. That is not right. It's not the way the founding fathers intended. Uh, I'm also a person though that believes you one vote, your vote counts. I don't understand how we still have such an antiquated system as the electoral college. And, and so both ways, when you look at like in a state election, it's by the vote, you know, but then we have this strange and obscure system because we used to have to send Pony Express guys out to get a box from, you know, Sentinel, Missouri, and, you know, it took three weeks, so we had to have that. And then we also wanted to make sure that people of color only counted for three-fifths of a vote. Might be time to rethink, you know. And the same way, in a closed primary system, the people that come out, it's very small, and they're, they're going to be very biased, and so many people are disenfranchised from the vote. So there is a group right now that's working on educating on what a top two primary system would be, open primaries, where everybody gets the same ballot. Uh, you pick your first and second, no runoff, you go straight to the general. In the states that have done that, you tend to see much huger voter participation, which is a good thing. And uh, we should want everyone to exercise their right to vote, even if we don't think they're going to vote the way we would want them to. And that's where you have to get away from the personal feelings. And I just feel like that those systems, those states that do that seem to moderate more to the middle. And when I was in the legislature, I used to say that I believe that about 60 or 70% of Oklahomans felt the same. They were in the middle and they just wanted good government. They didn't want potholes and they wanted to make sure that Betsy had a, a certified teacher in her classroom, not a school bus driver who had been certified. 
nothing against school bus drivers. And, uh, but now I fear that number is smaller, but those are the people, I think it's more like 30 or 40% really just want this in the middle because we've become so polarized. We need to give more of a voice to that middle. The centrist, the people that work together, the bipartisan efforts will always be the best government. Yeah, I think, did, did we record that? Yeah, we, we should have, we should have recorded that. It's not our first time to say that out loud in front of an audience. Um, and I no, do, I mean, not, I do, not that. I mean, just like, those. That that's a great answer. I just want to like play that. <laughs> it, um, and I, I do think, uh, I, I'm saying this, I, I think you guys get it, and the audience probably does too, but for the sake of it being said, that I, I would wager that the biggest enemy in the elections next year is not a candidate, it is apathy. Mm-hmm. Right? That like, if we don't turn out, if we don't, ask and invite and encourage our friends and neighbors to vote and for everyone who doesn't vote there is someone who's still voting and i think about this when when we started let's fix this in 2016 it occurred to me that if i didn't go to the capitol and share my feelings somebody else was Mm -hmm. and that somebody else is paid to be there and i'm this is not a knock on lobbyists i have many good friends that lobby for food banks and other worthy causes unless you lobby for coal there's coal, right? <laughs> Cigarettes, payday lenders, there's a lot of causes that I disagree with. But that's the point. Like, if we don't show up, somebody else is paid to be there. And we can't, com- the only way to compete with that is by showing up, right? And so I think that uh, occurs at the ballot box, mm-hmm. too. Like, we have to vote, even if it's a bunch of old dudes. Did you, I agree. <laughs> did, did you see there was an election that there was just a recount in Louisiana, I believe, where a gentleman won by one vote? And they're like, oh, that's just impossible. We got, it came out exactly the same on the recount. That is one person that didn't say, God, I'm tired. It was a long day. I'm sure Billy will win. I'm just going to run through the McDonald's drive-thru and go right. home. Listen, we've all been there, right? I used to take my kids with me every time I voted because I wanted them to understand the blessing of living in a country that allowed us the freedom to vote. I remember telling my kids about people in Iran that had to stick their thumb in a pot of blue ink that lasted a week to prove because I just don't think we've done a good enough job of teaching the next generation how important your vote is. Uh, 100%, 100%. You know, it's, uh, there's, I, I use the example, it was either 2018 or 2020, um, the Virginia House of Delegates, Virginia House of Delegates came down to one race that was decided by one vote. Control of the legislature yes. hinged on one individual vote. Just like, yeah. like, and you don't know in advance, right? Like you don't know right. until you vote. So you may vote and you're like, oh, it was decided by 35,000 people. You're like, well, okay, but it could have been one person. So aren't you glad you showed up? Um, Commissioner Osborne, just a couple of minutes. We had one last question. It really is. Uh, what's up with workforce development in Oklahoma? I have a colleague here, right? Ba- in fact, it's Bailey's husband, who was at a conference this week, and he ran into a colleague of mine from Georgia at a workforce conference, and they sent me a selfie, and I was like, something's happening with workforce in Oklahoma that's good, and you would be the best person to ask, I think. Well, I think that we are finally realizing that... Um we, you know, you hear we don't have enough warm bodies to fill the jobs, right? Or you hear your far right friends, and yes, I am a Republican, I'm barely hanging on to that, you know. Uh, hello, Liz Cheney. So, anyway, um, but you hear people say, um, okay, go back. What were we talking about? The Liz Cheney threw me off. Workforce. Workforce, thank you. <laughs> but so you hear your far right friends say, oh, everybody's taking a government check. 
Okay, help us debunk it. We must always debunk with facts. We're at record low unemployment rates. But what we're not doing is utilizing the pools of people that are there. So real quickly, the pools of people we're not utilizing that would fill every job in the state, women of childbearing years. Sounds funny, but it's, it's true. Over half of our counties are childcare deserts. Only one slot available for every 10 that are needed. If you don't have the privilege of a family member who can help, you are out of the job market. So women, highly underutilized. Uh, people with a felony, a former felony conviction. One out of nine Oklahomans has a former felony because we are a high incarceration, lock them up, throw away the key state. So I give tons of speeches to employers encouraging them to be a second chance employer. Um, the disabled. We have one of the worst rates in the nation of jobs being willing to make even the tiniest of accommodations to utilize somebody that may be low vision, low hearing, in administrative type jobs. Of course there's going to be jobs that don't work for everyone, but that is a, a huge pool of people that we are not uh, utilizing. And the last that I always talk about is immigrants that are already here. They're cleaning our hotel rooms, they're mowing lawns, but they might want to be a plumber. They may have lived here 20 years, they've got kids in the public school system, but they don't have a form of ID, so they can't get there. Senator Michael Brooks had a wonderful bill last year to give a form of ID, a driver's license, but with bright, bold red letters to please the Republicans that said, cannot vote with this, bright red letters, not a pathway to citizenship, but 21 states have done that. And in it, their uninsured motorist rates went down through the basement and they employed people that were already working and now they're paying into our social security system and all these kind of things and filling so many jobs. But you know what? We're also given second chances to a lot of these people we're talking about. And I'm gonna, Andy knows I love to always say at least one thing that's kind of like outrageous. I worship Brown Jesus. You know, he's the one that was, wore a dress. He had long hair, you know, and, and sandals. And he said to love everybody. Now, a lot of people I know worship white Republican Jesus who has a crew cut. And he says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know. I can't find that in the 66 books of the Bible. And I'm telling you, half the people you're saying that about don't even have a damn bootstrap. So maybe we get, need to get back to being the empathetic people that realize if you're not Native American, you're an immigrant. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I want to, that would be a great place to end it, but I want to ask one follow-up question. <laughs> Well, because what you said about um, about childcare deserts and and parents, particularly particularly women of childbearing age, um, being essentially held out of the workforce because they don't have childcare, I, I think you're absolutely right that there's a ton of places where that childcare doesn't exist. But even in the places where it does, you can't afford childcare on minimum wage. Right. It doesn't make sense to work if you're not going to make as much as it costs to put your child in daycare. And so we can either subsidize childcare more than we do. Mm -hmm or we can pay people more. Um, thoughts on raising the minimum wage, thoughts on trying to achieve a true living wage in Oklahoma for all of the right reasons, but also so that people that want to be in the workforce but need assistance with childcare mm -hmm. can, can actually afford it. So 
as a Republican, we always hear the arguments, well, nobody's working for minimum wage except a 16-year-old or something. You know, no, I think it's 21% or something of Oklahomans are working for the minimum wage. It's the longest we've gone in U.S. history. When you looked at what inflation was doing before it came back down, it was costing more for your tank of gas. You would lose money going to work for a minimum wage job. Now, here's what a Republican will tell you. Well, we have the right to raise it on our own, and we do. So let's give kudos to Hobby Lobby, who starts their lowest wage workers at $18 an hour, to OnCue, who I think it's 20 or 21. I see teachers leaving their vocational field because they can make more as an OnCue manager. Shame on us. There is no more important job in the entire world than the people that shape and mold our next generation. Shame on us for not putting more resources into that and valuing people with education degrees. But uh, we have to do something. So even though there are good actors, there's so many that aren't. What I notice as a former business owner is I sold heavy-duty truck parts for 22 years. I grew up on a farm. It was an agricultural sales business. Whenever I got a notice that steel prices were going up so my grill guards were going to go up, I immediately passed on the commensurate cost to my, 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 I was a distributor selling to dealers. So if it went up $25 a unit, it went up to them. Nobody made more profit. But a lot of times people are reluctant in small businesses, particularly rural, to pass on the cost of service. So you're a small town restaurant, you know, and you think, well, if I raise the prices of a burgers all a dollar each, nobody will come anymore. Well, no, at the end of the day, you're not going to have anyone working there anymore. I'm still going to Charleston, even if they raise that bowl of baked potato soup $2 a bowl. I'm still going, and if that's what it's going to take to better pay their employees that are there serving, great. There is a state question that's just been filed by initiative petition to raise the minimum wage. I think that the backers are a uh, federal group that's trying to do that. They've passed it in quite a few red states. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but, you know, I don't think we can live with the argument that we can't afford it if it's slowly ratcheted up, and I think it is something to consider. And, I mean, we've had a lot of people, Senator George Young has been a tireless a crusader for this, but we have to consider that work-life balance and that you have to make enough to, to pay the most basic of rent and food, and we're, we're really not doing a very good job. We're a very high-poverty, low-education state. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Commissioner Osborne, thank you so much for, for being here tonight. Thanks. Thanks for having yeah. us. All right. Well, Scott, I'm as always, we have guests. I would just want to like sit down and take notes and write right. a dissertation after this. Right, exactly. But we've got another guest. We do. We do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage State Senator Julia Kurt. I feel like I feel like I'm not happy about following Commissioner Osborne. You know, <laughs> I, I I'll be honest with you, I sweated more than I should have about the order in which That's you guys were coming. Tough man. She's always so on it. And I, I, I'm just thinking she's not running again for anything. She does have a little bit of freedom <laughs> there, I think. That's exactly right. Well, um, thank you, Senator. And I'll, in full disclosure, I'm sure listeners probably know this, but Senator Kurt is my senator. Yay. It's always lovely. Someone from Senate my District neighbor. 30. Yeah, d down the street. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I often tell audiences when I speak that if you think that you're you know, elected officials or some high and mighty someone else, that is not the case. And few things bring that home as much as when you see 
your state senator like in gym shorts picking up their dog's poop on the <laughs> side of the road. And you're like, oh, they're just like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am grateful for that, uh, that privilege. But thank you so much. I'm grateful for you being here tonight as well. Glad to. Um, Glad to. I would say uh, you and Commissioner Osborne were our two most frequent guests That's on awesome. the show. And we felt it was appropriate. It was like, do we invite someone who has never had on or someone we've had on, you know, five times? And yeah. so we're glad awesome. that you were able to come back. Proud to. I, yeah. love, I love an informed audience. It's always fun to have that conversation. Yeah. And you just uh, won re-election last year, so you're in your second term in the right. Senate, right? So I think audience knows, but uh, legislators get 12 years, cumulative, and so you've served now five, I guess, right? Right. Um, you're in your fifth year, and up to, so you've got this term and then potentially one more after right. that um, before you would be mm-hmm. term limited in the legislature. Um, Scott, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I just again, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're um, you're you're one of the one of the members that um, I feel like we can ask like any question to, and you can just like rattle it off. I, I, we'll see. I love Are it. Are you going to well, try to stump me? No, no. We so did that first, with Kang and my sister earlier. So all those hard <laughs> questions you're out of it. First one's a softball. Just what do you what do you have your eye on next year? What are you watching as we approach the session? Um, what are you kind of looking out for? And what are your priorities? What, what sure. bills you're going to run? What's what's your outline for the for the four months from February to May? Well, I'll just start with I'll start with the dark side. Um, I <laughs> Good. Think my probably it was the beginning of my sec very beginning of my second session when. Um, Somebody came in and immediately I saw a tweet that that someone in office was running for Congress against a friend of mine. Um, And I had that sinking feeling like, oh yeah, right. Everybody's gonna be running this year. And how different election year sessions are, it's kind of, it's really frustrating. Um, It's very, you know, we do a lot of um, performance there and it's even more of that. And then suddenly people will be running for different things. You know, they'll be announcing for different things. And so there's a lot of that at play. So I anticipate some challenges there. Plus we have a terming out Speaker of the House, terming out Pro Tem. Um, so we, there's gonna be a lot around the leadership changes there. So I expect it to be a pretty challenging session issues wise, um, which I'm not looking forward to. Um, on the plus side, you know, we continue to make great strides on mental health. Um, there's been strong advocacy for decades that has led us here. I mean, I think that would be a great case study in Oklahoma to understand how did we finally get where we have better bipartisan understanding of brain health and the investments we need to make in brain health. Um, we don't always, we're not getting there all the way yet. There's a lot of space to go, but we've made a lot of progress. So I'm feeling really positive about that. We have a very strong bipartisan um, mental health caucus of legislators. We have some really good voices who are providing nonpartisan advice that are getting listened to. So Healthy Minds Policy Initiative has been really great for research that people are trusting on what we need to do next. So we've made progress on mandate, um, you know, mandating our private insurers to, for instance, have an accurate network. We found out through research last year that like the major insurance company locally had something like 80% of their mental health providers were not taking new patients. 
Well, you can't claim that they're available on your network if they're not taking patients, right? So those kinds of issues, so we're not just looking at what our public departments are doing for mental health, but we're looking at how most people are insured and what kind of coverage they get. Those are the kinds of strong uh, measures we've been able to move forward in the mental health realm. And I'm thrilled with all the federal investment and the local ARPA money. We're gonna be able to move forward, like make major advancements on addressing. We're not there, we're not there. You know, big, big issue this summer we talked about is professional, um, needing more professionals. We have a huge dearth of psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, um, and we don't have LPCs in the right places where we need them. Um, those are gonna take time to develop. And I think, you know, in the past, we've done initiatives to push for more general practitioners and others. Um, we have to be really thoughtful about that. Or we're not gonna have, we, right now, we don't have the professionals to serve our people. Um, we had a psychiatrist testify and she said, it's like being in a third world nation because she sees a new child patient every five to 10 minutes. And she's basically just triaging constantly and not actually getting to be with people. So anyway, those are my priorities, just to try to push forward those measures. Yeah, that's, you, that's true. Go ahead. Do you think there's any, any room or a, a chance of any movement on reimbursement rates for mental health specifically um, for folks that are on sooner care? You know, I work, um, I work as a primary care physician, um, and I see um, a, a pretty substantial sooner care population. Um, and if I have an adult who um, is a sooner care patient and needs mental health services, there's two places I send them. I have two places that I could say, right. go here or go there because I, they accept your insurance. And most, many practitioners won't. Yeah. Not because they can't like get rich on sooner care, but because they can't keep the their doors model. open. Yeah. Um, any movement? Yeah, I th so I, th I think that's a huge problem. I think this is an area where you can say there's not enough voices asking for that. And this is always a challenge when you have something where people, low-income folks are being served, is there's not as many people saying, we need this, we need this. Um, so I was fascinated that that's not been in um, the request from the Department of Mental Health. The governor has told the agency directors not to increase budgets. Um, which is horrible, frankly, because the need is there, inflation is there, um, we're not serving people the way we could, so we're seeing these, when we get a budget recommendation, it's a zero-based budget. Last year, literally, Department of Mental Health asked for no increase. I think we all know that that is unacceptable. And so if our agency's not taking the lead because they're under a political gun to not um, point to what we really need, um, that causes some real problems for leadership. So we need better outside voices demanding that. Um, I think currently the voices for mental health are you have some strong policy folks, and then you have CCBHCs who are doing fine with, with federal reimbursements, and right. then you have private practitioners who've just kind of tossed in the towel, and you, that other part is a very small number of people who are advocating for that. So I think it is not being pushed sufficiently. And I think you'll see that with a lot of issues. If there's not somebody who has the money and time to lobby for it, who's speaking up for it? So that one's a huge lift too, financially. So it's gonna need a lot more push. I was pointing out just NAMI needs more strength. We need more strength with those groups that represents the grassroots um, because they're not in force at the Capitol like they need to be. Yeah, that's tough because, I mean, I think this is a systemic problem, right? The groups that are um, in the worst spot are having to work even harder just to maintain where they're at so they don't have the extra budget to hire a lobbyist or even the time to go to right. the Capitol. Absolutely. And they often don't have the skills or the connections to make those conversations happen. And so um, 
that's uh, this is a really helpful conversation for me as a LPC who's not in practice now. But I, I mean, I we still... We think a lot of you, like there's a ton of people still licensed yeah. who we think might not be practicing, but we don't have the data. We only have the numbers of active licenses. Right, right. Yeah, yeah my license is active, but I'm not practicing. Yeah. Um, aside from politics, which is a whole different kind of counseling. Well, I would say we do the same thing with agencies. So our agencies that serve lower income folks actually get more of a shaft in the process. Right. Because those agencies that are called select agencies, they make their own money, so to speak, like the boards that charge licensing fees, um, the bankers, everything. They get to make decisions about how they spend their money because it's fees and fines, and we're not making those decisions. So they right. build buildings without our, you know, like without having to come up to us for permission. So whereas the folks who are serving low-income people are not getting what they need. Right, that it's makes typical. A lot of sense. It's typical. That's interesting. Well, and it, it is, I think, just so tough, right? Like this conversation, I think, is really important because most of us are busy in our own lives, and we don't spend time trying to think about like how are the people in my community who are hurting the most being hurt worse? And like how, and then the second question is like, how can I help, right? Aside from, you know, buying a curbside chronicle or, you know, making donations when you can, but like there are systemic changes that we can advocate for. We don't have to, we should not wait for those folks to speak up. Like yeah, they're, not they're in this in predicament because so. others mm -hmm. have, Put them there, right? Like, right. or neglected to fix it, and so I think it is. That's yeah, a tough I'll give pill to swallow. an example. Uh, something else I hope will come up this year is in increased improvement around the Landlord Tenant Act. Um, you know, here's a situation: who has the voice? The capital landlords have the voice. We have tons of landlords in office, and I'm not bashing landlords. Apparently, anytime we bring up the Landlord Tenant Act. Everyone who's a landlord gets right. like really freaked out that we're saying all landlords are bad. Not true. Not true. People own property here. But we've allowed it to become so out of balance that it's causing real harm in our society. It's costing us a lot. Um, and so rebalancing that's real hard. But people are seeing some of the pitfalls of that. So I'm hoping we can make some incremental steps. But who is it speaking up for that? You know? Right. Yeah, we did a recent episode with um, uh, one of the staff from Shelterwell. Uh -huh. And it was fascinating right like the the i think the i'll make it this wrong but the every eviction notice like has to be heard within like five days or something it can be yeah can, and i was like yeah. anything else that you go to court for you're waiting weeks right. or months right and it's like oh but these are fast track oh no like, they people can get kicked out in five days and it our it's the shortest in the country pretty much yeah, yeah. I'm on the founding board of Shelterwell. I'm really oh, proud of the work they're doing because they're trying to intervene in that mediate, create mediation. Like a lot of times it's part of the business model for certain uh, landlords yeah. that they evict folks because they get larger fees and interest, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Huge challenge. You mentioned the ARPA money earlier. Do you think that like in 2024 we will, some of that stuff has been like encumbered and we haven't seen the results of it. Do you think we'll start to see some of that money? Well, I like... sure hope so. <laughs> uh, my colleagues are gonna implode if it's not. They thought that you know the money should be rolled out overnight, not understanding the level of detail that you have to follow to, with federal money. Um, and so people were already like blowing a gasket last session over some of the funding not getting out yet. But there's been a lot of bureaucratic hurdles um, to finalizing that money going out. Um, but yeah, projects are starting to happen. I think dirt's getting turned. You know, the cost of doing everything has gone up, but um, we also earned interest on all that federal money. So that's, um, I got on, on the mic last year, our appropriation shares committed that that interest money would be spent on some of the ARPA projects that their costs have increased. So 
I mean, I feel like those projects are happening. Yeah, great. Mm -hmm. hmm. Do you have any final One of the questions? interesting things with the ARPA projects was like that money coming in, going to the state level, going to the counties, and then the little towns came to us, and then all these water projects. Have you all seen this? I, I mean, we hear this, and so intellectually I knew that our infrastructure is falling apart, but seeing the requests that came in to the OWRB, it's the Oklahoma Water Resources Board, mm -hmm, yep. they got to apply for ARPA money to help with upgrading water infrastructure, water pipes that were built in the 30s, built in the 40s, built in the 50s. We have billions and billions of dollars of, of deferred maintenance on infrastructure. It's kind of horrifying. And it just goes back to the fact that we don't tax enough to really cover the cost of doing business, so to speak, as a government, because we should not have our water pipes falling apart. Right. We shouldn't. Right. I, I think of that all the time when I drive down May Avenue by 36th Street. They've had to repair the broken water main right in front of Lowe's like 11 times in the past couple of years. I'm like, can we not When was that fixed? built? We could yeah. just fix it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, and this reminds me of a story that I will help you do some research, but in 2017, 2016, 2017, when the state budget crisis was happening, when you and I first met, the city of Hugo had been, they had some, uh, a lawsuit against the manufacturer of their, or the builder of their water treatment facility for the city, and they won the lawsuit and had, I don't know, like a million or $10 million in a revolving fund set aside to build a new water treatment plant. And then the legislature did a sweep of all the revolving funds to pull money. And there was a news article that like, Hugo's money got taken up. Oh, they the, can't take Hugo's money. And the legislature money. was like, sorry, we need it for the state budget gap that we caused. And I remember just feeling so bad for the people of Hugo of like, well, now you still have bad water and it's not your fault. You did everything right. Um, and I haven't done the time to well, go like research to see I mean, that's that been sounds, remedied we do that with emergencies all the time like where we announce an emergency and say you can get federal funds but we actually don't pay the cities back uh, so cities and counties are out a lot of money for emergencies that we declare but we don't ever actually get the money that. yeah cool. there's just a lot of broken promises in there financially but but by all means let's go to zero tax let's go to zero <laughs> income tax that's really logical with where we are right we're really covering it yeah. right now. We need tons of money, but there's no relief like tax relief, Senator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I refuse to use that language. That language has been fully adopted because of the repetition with the supermajority. They the, use you the mean word tax, re tax relief. I hate that. No, they phrase use so relief much. on purpose I to try it. to make you all feel like that extra fifty dollars a year I'm that you're so going to get in your tax cut is going to change your life. That's, see, yeah. you mentioned it is an election year next year. Yes. Uh, races you've got your eye on? Oh, man. Well, number one, we have a special election in, in Lawton. The state senator in Lawton stepped down. And December 12th, which is less than two weeks away, we have a very important election. It's pretty indicative of what uh, Commissioner Osborne talked about. We have a very, 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 I don't even know if I'd call him right, but far right candidate won the primary there's no runoffs in special elections, so he's a very extreme candidate running against a, kind of a middle-of-the-road Democrat. Um, so we've been working really hard there. That's a promising one. And then same in North Edmond. Um, Representative Ryan Martinez stepped down, and so there's going to be a special election there. There's a lot of um, urban Republicans who are, are tired of the way things have been going in the Republican Party. So we're really interested, think those will be competitive races. And then next year, I mean, it's going to continue to be um, really the urban areas where you'll see uh, we have very gerrymandered maps. Those who follow, let's pod this, probably know this. Ah. They may know this, but, um, you know, the maps that were drawn last year uh, were not as catastrophic overall as 2010, but 
That's what because happened? they were so catastrophic. <laughs> because in they were so bad. Well, they're so bad in 2010 that what happened last year was the blue seats were made a little bluer, the red seats were made redder, the purple seats were either made more red or more blue. So you don't have. We now only in the 48 state senators, we only have probably. I think we have four seats that we call toss-ups now. Hmm. Four out of 48 that are toss-ups, which is not true. You know, it's just not true statewide on how things got redrawn. So like my seat got considerably more democratic, um, which is a weird feeling because I'd been elected in a formerly Republican district, very purple district. That doesn't exist anymore. Um, and that's a decision that was made. So it's very hard to find competitive races, but we've got, I mean, the Senate Democrats have uh, five races that we're competing in. We'll see, you know, how that pans out. But we have a couple of people about to announce. Several people already running, so I'm excited. Well, and Commissioner Osborne mentioned this, but when we have competitive elections, turnout is higher. People feel like their vote matters more, and it results in better policy. She mentioned when she was first in the state house, and the the divide was not so great. Oh yeah, when they they were tied in the Senate every lobbyist, uh, historian, mm -hmm. staffer at the state Senate talks about the two years that the Senate was tied. There was an election and then a woman switched her party. And so instead of Glenn Coffey becoming pro tem, that became a shared government. They literally had a Republican chair of a committee and it's Democratic chair of committee. They had a tie break with the lieutenant governor on the floor. But every single bill had to be signed off on uh, by both uh, leaders. And so they, they made good policy, had to yeah. be well vetted. Nothing could be rammed through because you didn't have that kind of guarantee uh, pass. So yeah. yeah. You, we, I, when we were doing the redistricting work, we visited with some former mm -hmm. uh, legislative leadership and they all said, oh, we were at our best back yeah. when it was competitive. And I was like, mm -hmm. they're like, well, but now it's, and I was like, that's I mean, okay, data for that too, right? I mean, you look at yeah. Nebraska. So, you know, Christian uh, Osborne was talking about um, open uh, primaries. So Nebraska um, has- Unicameral. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's- Nonpartisan I mean, open primaries, yeah. I mean, like, you can look at where they govern from and it's, Remarkable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I do need to give a plug for running for office, though, because I think Commissioner Osborne's in a different place um, yeah. than I am because um, it is hard. There's no question running for office is hard. Serving is hard. You really do have to. I mean, I'm a pretty darn optimistic person. And so, um, but don't talk to me in the first few weeks of June, right after session <laughs> ends, because I'm pretty pessimistic about everything. But I, re I revive, right? And, for, and it's usually through people, through talking to constituents who are trying to do the work and, tr you know, need help. And we can, we need to be doing better, right? And I'm just not willing to give up. Like, I'm not giving up. Nope, yeah. we're not going to give up, right? Um, running for office is absolutely one of the hardest things I've ever done, no question. But it's also uh, an amazing process. Um, and even just running, uh, you, you meet so many people, you learn so much about yourself, you learn so much about your community. And for me, it was a hugely uh, beneficial thing for my view of democracy because I, even though I knew intellectually that, that we're placed in these binary boxes um, of red and blue, uh, until I got out there, I didn't really understand the diversity of voters and individuals and, and, and just getting to talk to people and hear their story and know that the storylines are not adequate. They're too simplified. They are not our full human nature. For me, was really refreshing. And when I get back out and knock doors and talk to voters, I, I'm reminded of that all the time. Yeah, that's great. Senator Kurt, thank you so much for being here tonight. So much. That's fun.
was fun. Uh, audience, give yourselves a hand. Thank you for being here tonight as well. I, uh, Scott, I think we're at the end of the show. I want to play the Already? music. Already? It is. It's been. This is a longer episode. It's an hour and a half. Look at us go. Um, be sure to tip your waitress. There's not a waitress. But, um, listeners, there's an election on December 12th. There's an election in February. There's an election in March. There's an election in April. There's an election in June. There's, there's an election always in always an election. The elections next year, as we've said repeatedly, you must vote. You must. You must. You must. Talk to people. Encourage folks. We will have opportunities yeah. for you to get involved. I, I assume everyone here is going to vote. But everyone here get five more people to vote. That's right. And if you're not registered, by some chance, we need to update it. There's a QR code on our table over here. You can do it online now. It's super handy. Um, Once we wrap up here, if you want some more pizza or drinks, please help yourself. Uh, If you want to buy some merch, we'll be over here at the table for that. Some T-shirts, great stocking stuffers or holiday gifts. A few T-shirts, sweatshirts, uh, whatever else. And um, we will take a break with Let's Pod This until the new year so we can do the holidays. But we'll be back in January with regular episodes about the legislative session, what else is happening with Oklahoma government and politics, um, the news, the gossip, the hilarity, the sadness. The the hubbub. The hubbub. That's good. All right. Well, uh, as we say every week, decisions decisions are are made made by by those those who show show up. up. Have a good night.